It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's a weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Roaring. It's presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. We look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment. And my favorite segment where you can ask me a question about any topic, literally any topic, go to Twitter, hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. We're doing this a day early. Usually we drop this on a Thursday. This is dropping on a Wednesday. Why? Well, because the Bengals play a Thursday night game, so we wanted to get out ahead of the curve of that. We really don't have to worry about the Reds in the pennant race any longer because that's all said and done, or at least the playoff chase. That's all said and done. So Wednesday seemed like the logical day to knock this podcast out. Rick, did it throw you off a lot? Are you okay with this? No, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm buzzing right now. Like I was, I was ready to do this podcast probably on Monday. And <laughs> since then we've started college basketball practice. So that's, that's only added to my excitement and juice right now. And you, you, of- you went to a couple, right? Yesterday? I, exactly. I went to a couple and not really much basketball to talk about right now in terms of the podcast, but it just has me excited about sports in general. We've got the Thursday night game. We've got the Notre Dame UC game. I'm I'm ready to talk about all of it. Yep. Yeah. No question. I I, I it, it's hard for me to wrap my hands around or wrap my arms around college basketball starting here in late September. Although I did look up and my practice starts in in three or two Mondays from now. So yeah, it, it's it's quickly approaching. So yeah, you're right. We got we got the big lap overtime. That's right. Well, let's jump right in. The Bengals are riding high after a big win over the Steelers, 24-10 in Pittsburgh on Sunday. Zach Taylor's men will have to turn the page quickly, though, as they welcome Jacksonville into Paul Brown Stadium on Thursday night for a primetime game. The Jaguars are one of the NFL's worst teams at 0-3 with double-digit losses to Houston, Denver, and Arizona. So, Skinny, how important is this Jacksonville game for Zach Taylor and his team? It's extraordinarily important because, uh, listen, you know, everybody talks about the injuries and now uh, you beat up a depleted steel. That's fine. They, they, you, you can argue that they still went to Pittsburgh and won, and they're riding high over it. And you got Tyler Boyd calling the Steelers quitters, which isn't very smart. Um, you know, you have a short week, you know, they really only had a walkthrough practice on Tuesday and the other, everything else is, is literally a walkthrough. So, and they're, and they're not alone. I mean, that's kind of the way this, this short week works for everybody. It's just, it's very tight to try to get things done. Um, but you know, you can't start feeling really good about yourselves and then let a Jacksonville team come in and, and, and knock you off. You, you mentioned, I mean, three double digit losses. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at it, I think Denver's proving to be a pretty nice team. Now they've been schedule helped along the way because they've played the Jets and and the Jacksonville. But Arizona, I think, is a playoff caliber team. So, you know, those are not embarrassing losses. Um, you you got to figure at some point Trevor Lawrence is going to stop throwing interceptions. He's thrown at least two in the first three games. And you're dealing with some significant injuries, perhaps. You know, T. Higgins hasn't practiced this week, may not go again. Um, Jesse Bates has not practiced this week. He may not go. If that's the case, you're down him and Ricardo Allen. You're now then starting Brandon Wilson, likely at safety. Um, you know, at corner, Trey Waynes is back practicing. Even if he plays, how much does he go? Chidobe Awujier, um hasn't practiced this week. And, and we're doing this on a Wednesday in the morning, and they'll drop the, the, the official injury report this afternoon. So I'm, I'm really interested in it. This is probably the most significant injury report we've had in the first four weeks of the season because – especially with Bates popping on there and not practicing on top of it on a short week makes me makes me a little skittish whether he plays or not. So, yeah, I mean, they talk about uh, making sure that they've turned the page and that they don't look past Jacksonville. But how many times have we seen this in sports in general? It's one of the most great un- unexplained things of the letdown game. It just happens. And I don't know what the secret formula is for it not to happen, but the Bengals can't let it happen. Yeah, and this really shouldn't even be looked at as a – let down game for the Bengals because 
every game that they have an opportunity to win should be the Super Bowl right now Mm -hmm. for them. They're just trying to pile up wins in the Zach Taylor era to this point through the first three years of or two plus years of Zach Taylor. It's always been we're not that far away. It's coming. He's selling a vision. He he tells us that they're getting closer and they just got to do a few things better. Well, they finally did all the things. They, they put together the complete game. They dominated Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. That was the game to start selling the vision. It's here now. The problem with that is it adds pressure for a game like this. Sure does. Absolutely. You, you can't go and sell the vision if you lose this one to Jacksonville. It, it, it really destroys a lot of Zach Taylor's credibility with his message. In that and, and, and I will give him this. He, he basically mentioned that when we talked to him on Monday that he said, if we don't go take care of business, that win in Pittsburgh is all for naught. That's probably not the right way to look at it all for naught. It's still a win on the road against a divisional opponent. You're still one in the division, but his point is well taken. You yeah. can't step back after winning the game as big as that game was with a chance to then win this, have a good weekend of just taking a, taking a deep breath, getting some guys healthy, and then, oh, here comes Aaron Rodgers in. If you're the three and one Bengals riding the two game victory streak, getting back to being, you know, probably, you know, getting Higgins back at that point, hopefully getting Bates back if he doesn't play this week at that point, kind of getting back to all hands on deck to play Aaron Rodgers. Boy, you talk about being juiced up and and, and having a chance to really get something rolling. Um, that's how big this Thursday game is. Look, if you're Andy Reid and the Chiefs or Bill Belichick and the Patriots or, or another organization that has had success and, and you have one of those games where you lose, you're not supposed to or whatever. Yeah, you can look back and say the Pittsburgh win was still a big win. It means a lot. But if you're the Bengals and you're Zach Taylor, and you lose this Jacksonville game right off that Pittsburgh win, it, it's different. I hate to tell you that it just is. Sorry, no, Zach. I, like, no, I know. You, no, I, he knows it. I, I, he, yeah. there's no, he knows it, and, and some of the players know it. And it's one thing to know it and talk about it and try to avoid it. I wish I, Rick, you've seen it across the board in sports, whatever sport it is. Well, baseball really not that case. It's 162 games, so there's there's so many ebbs and flows. But I mean, we see it in college basketball. How in the world did they lose to them? We see it in college football. How in the world did did, did they play them that close? Well, then you look and you go, oh, because they've got this team up next, or they're coming off of that game, the old sandwich game. It happens, man, and, and it, that's what puts a lot of pressure on this game. And and that that being said. I want the pressure and I, I, because I have the better team. You don't, you don't really often say that with the Bengals and maybe we'll say that more as this season rolls along, but you are clearly the better team. You have a rookie quarterback who has looked like a rookie quarterback throwing seven interceptions in his first three games. Um, the other defense has given up at least 380, 398 yards to all three opponents. And that includes Denver, which isn't overly dynamic on offense. So you've got a lot of things going for you. But there's just enough the other way that makes this a scary game. Like I mentioned, a couple of key injuries there. Um, you know, how will Jackson Carmen do in his second start? Was that fool's goal because of the injuries on the Pittsburgh Steelers defensive front? Or was that the start of what we hoped we were going to see long term of Jackson Carmen being a longtime starting offensive lineman in this league? So there, there's a lot riding on this Thursday night game. There is a lot riding on it, and this is the NFL. You can lose to anyone at any given moment, and you're playing against guys who are getting paid a lot of money, even if they've really struggled to start the year. So with that being said, do you think that Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan and the offense in general get a little bit more aggressive for this one and try to take advantage of a, a weak Jacksonville defense to get things rolling? Or do you think we see them stay as conservative as as conservative as they've been and try to win with their defense and just ensure that they're in the best spot possible. I I think Jamar chase changes a lot of that. I I think, and I asked Brian that yesterday of, you know, 
what, what do you think moving forward when, when teams now see Jamar, how much more coverage do you see roll his way? And, and how much does that then open things up for the rest of the offense? And the answer was obvious and he gave it, which is yeah. Yeah. If, they, if that starts happening, sure. That gives us other opportunities, other places. If they don't, well, okay, you don't, um, he said, but I think he's probably now enough on film to where teams realize that guy can really run by people. We can't just leave a guy on an island out there very often, um, or they're going to take advantage of it and not only take advantage of it, but hit a home run. I think that's where the, 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 the situation with Higgins is big to me because him being out, and this is no knock on Auden Tate, he is what he is. He's not dynamic. He's a nice player and he's a nice part, but he's not dynamic. T Higgins is. Um, so that's where, again, if you want to roll your coverage to chase fine, then I've got Higgins on the other side. You want to roll your coverage to both those guys. Great. I got Tyler Boyd and then you got lighter boxes and we can run the football. So yeah, I, I think, I think you see them come out in a very aggressive mode in, in this game and, and really push it at this, this team. Um, just, just to, again, I think the other part is don't ease into this game because when you do, you let somebody hang around and then a ball gets knocked loose. that shouldn't get knocked loose. The fluky play happens here and there. And suddenly you're chasing points and, um, you know, the crowd, even the, the home crowd is going to be wired for the start. They're going to start mumbling and murmuring and not being very happy. So, um, yeah, I, I think they push that pace pretty quickly. That's what I'd like to see. I'd like them to try to take advantage of this defense, get on top of them early. And the great thing about it is if you make a mistake or you have a couple three and outs to start because you're getting aggressive and taking some shots, what have you, your defense should be more than good enough to overcome against this Jacksonville team and, and their offensive line. So I, I would really like to see them get a little bit more aggressive at least. And by the way, Tyler Boyd was right. Pittsburgh did quit uh, from a national perspective. Not, 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 I will say that though. Not very smart to say it. I love it. I'm all for it. Well, I, I hope he loves it when he gets cold cocked the next time around. That's the juju route. I you get uh, what yeah. you put out there. So yeah, that's right. From a national perspective, as NFL Network and analysts everywhere try to find something interesting to talk about with this game, we're going to hear a lot about Bengals second year quarterback Joe Burrow going up against Jacksonville rookie Trevor Lawrence. How much do you care about the Joe Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence matchup at this point, Skinny? Not at all. I mean, it, it just, it, 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 anymore. It's just, it's, it's, that's the thing. It's really not those. And I, I know, you know this, but, but people talk about it in vain and it's not him against him. They're not playing one-on-one -on -one basketball out there for goodness sakes. One's quarterback and one team against the other defense, the other's quarterback and the other team against the other defense. So it's really not those guys head to head. I, I get, it's gotta be a storyline. Um, you gotta generate some juice to it. But um, to me, I, I, to me, I think the, the more important thing is if you want to look at it, it, it makes you continue to start to appreciate Joe Burrow and what he did as a rookie more and more that he really hit the ground running. Now his, his first game passer rating against the chargers was the worst still of his career to this point, although he almost led him to a come from behind victory. Uh, but then he followed that up by, by having a really good game on the Thursday night in prime time against Cleveland. They lost it, but he played well. Um, and you're seeing Trevor Lawrence. This was supposed to be the next coming of a Joe Burrow going to hit the ground running in this league going to take it by storm. Well, guess what you find out with rookie quarterbacks, right? It just isn't that easy. And it wasn't easy all the time for Joe Burrow last year. We can remember the Pittsburgh game and the Baltimore game uh, where things didn't come easy for him. And they haven't for Trevor Lawrence at this point. So I think it's more, to me, what you're seeing out of a second-year quarterback in Joe Burrow who's now put up his uh, his two higher highest passer ratings of his career in, the, in two of the first three games this season, being much more efficient, not having to throw it quite as much, um, and, and taking maybe that next step as a quarterback into winning games instead of just putting up big numbers. And Trevor Lawrence on the other side, just trying to figure it out. I mean, seven interceptions in three games, at least two in a game, that, that's going to get you beat most times. And it's getting them beat by, by double-digit figures. 
Yeah, Trevor Lawrence is only completing 54% of his passes. He has a quarterback rating of 60.3 right now. Yeah, again, Joe Joe Burrow's worst in his career was 66.1 against the Chargers. That was in one game. We're talking about this guy now in three games. That's his rating. And that tells you how hard it is. The one thing he has done is flashed that arm strength with some balls downfield. He's hit a pass of 25 or more yards in all three of his games so far. He threw three touchdowns in their last game against Houston, who's pretty bad themselves. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I I think you're right. Trevor Lawrence has not been bad, I wouldn't say, especially when you factor in that he's got Urban Meyer as his coach in the NFL and the Jacksonville Jaguars playing around him. You can't really expect a whole lot out of him. He's, he's certainly shown, shown some of the physical tools that made him the number one overall pick. But right now, to this point, if you're the Bengals, you have to feel pretty good about the fact that you got Joe Burrow a year early. Yeah, no, absolutely right. That's a, that's a, that's a great point because it felt like, you know, for all the world, there was a lot of conversation and I kind of bought into it that Trevor Lawrence from a sheer talent standpoint is better and he might well be. Yeah. Um, I think Justin Herbert from a sheer talent standpoint is probably better than Joe Burrow. Um, well, and, I, I, I mean that I just, from a sheer that, talent perspective, that looks like at least right now, the more interesting argument in comparison is Joe Burrow versus Justin Herbert. But I'll say this at the time that they were drafted, I didn't feel that way at all. I thought the no, Bengals absolutely yeah. should have Joe Burrow if they weren't going to be tanking for an entire another year to get Trevor Lawrence. Like at the time it was more of that. It was like, did the Bengals tank too early and get the number one pick, pick too early? As it turned out, Burrow obviously went nuts in the college football playoff and put on a show, and and then it became a much easier uh, choice and made everyone feel good about it. But the the other thing to this game too, though, um, that might benefit the Beng- or Bengals is this: is is you got some dysfunction with what's going on with Urban Meyer and his coaching staff and the way they've started, and I'm sure he's pulling his hair out because he just doesn't lose. I mean, he does, I think eight and five was his worst record in college, for goodness sakes. Um, and, and you could tell losing just eats at that guy. I think that's what drove him out of Florida is when he started to lose a little bit. And then, you know, I think at Ohio state, it just got to the point of, I just, I can't do this anymore. Um, so I can only imagine zero and three. And then he didn't have to deal with this in college, the short week, how to handle the short week, how to handle the preparation, how to not burn your guys out in a short week and still get some things done. I mean, college coaches for the most part. Yeah. Occasionally you've got that Saturday to a Friday. Although a lot of times, let's not forget, you can build a couple of buys in there to where if you're playing a Friday game, you may take that following Saturday or that preceding Saturday off to give you a little bit more time. Um, this is Urban Meyer on a new circumstance, having to prepare on an extraordinarily short week in the NFL and travel. And he's got that to, to, to deal with. So I, I think, again, we talk about some of the things with the Bengals and the pressure and all that. I think you can flip some of that to Jacksonville and their dysfunction too. Oh, Jacksonville is a mess. And I mean, most great college coaches are control freaks by nature. And Urban Meyer certainly seems to fall under that category. And you get to the NFL, it's just not the same. It's really hard to do that. And like you said, in a short week, it makes it even more difficult for those guys that are used to all the control and used to the routine. So I'm with you. I think uh, the Bengals have a lot of advantages going their way for this one. And that's why I keep going back to, yeah, you can't lose it. You cannot lose this Cannot lose it. Agreed. All right, let's switch gears here to really the biggest story of the week. But, yes. you know, when there's a Thursday night game, you got to talk yeah, about that first absolutely. since it's going to happen first. But this is the one we've been waiting to talk about. Notre Dame took care of business with a 41-13 victory over Wisconsin at Soldier Field last week to set up the matchup we've all been hoping for since before the season started. The undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats will invade Notre Dame Stadium for a top 10 matchup between two undefeated squads on Saturday. Cincinnati is currently 
a one and a half point favorite. We'll start right there, Skinny. Should Cincinnati be a favorite at Notre Dame? Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame isn't exactly wowed. And it's funny, you, people can probably look at the raw score of 41-13 on Saturday and go, well, that's wow enough for me. But that was really a Notre Dame offense that was getting absolutely nothing done for a big chunk of that game. And then it all turned around after the early fourth quarter field goal um, th- that made it 13-10. to 10, and, and Chris Tyree returns the kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown. Then Notre Dame does put together a nice 51-yard scoring drive. And then voila, it was field goal, pick six. Pick six, blow out on. They score 31 fourth quarter points to come back from 13 to 10 down. That tells me more about Wisconsin, honestly, than it does about Notre Dame. Um, I think Notre Dame's somewhere in between what they did in that fourth quarter and, and kind of what they've done against Florida State and Toledo, um, where they just kind of slog through those games. Um, you know, who's going to quarterback? Is Jack Cohn back? Or maybe, honestly, is it better that Jack Cohn's not back for Notre Dame? Um so I, I do think they should be fair. I think to me, just watching my ball test wise. And again, I have to take some of the carryover from last year in and knowing Notre Dame lost Ian Book and some other guys. I think eyeball test you see is the better team on paper. That's understandable. I think you can look at these two teams and think you see is the better team, certainly. And trust me, I'm, I'm saying that from somebody that was sweating out Notre Dame getting five and a half for a while on Saturday and then celebrating like I just won the Super Bowl because I got myself a nice parlay off of that. So, again, I'm not being anti-Notre Dame guy here. For those that are Notre Dame fans listening, I just don't think they're a great football team. No, I think most Notre Dame fans would tell you that. And and last week with their quarterback situation, their backup, Tyler Buckner, was injured with a hamstring. So weren't able to even go to him when Cone left the game. So I will say were- the, pine, the, the Pine kid, when he came in, threw the ball well. He made a couple of tight window throws that were really good. He did do well, but that's not a situation they're expecting to be in. They're a little bit of a mess in that game, and and they've they've had their issues throughout the season. This isn't the type of team that Brian Kelly is used to. It's not the type of team he prefers to coach. I think if he has his druthers, but the defense is getting better. They're they're moving along. I guess for me, in terms of Cincinnati being favored, I think Cincinnati may be the better team, but I think it's pretty darn close. And I don't know if we have a clear vision for either one. No, the I fact agree with that. that as Cincinnati being who they are historically and Notre Dame being who they are historically. I know it's played this Saturday, not in history, but it's still amazing to me to think that UC is going to be a favorite going into Notre Dame, just with what that means for everyone involved. Like if we show people this in a couple of years, Hey, UC was a one and a half point favorite at Notre Dame in 2021. We're all going to look back at that and say, God, how'd that happen? Like that? Well, that's bizarre. Let's also look at it like this. Vegas has no emotion. They, they, they have reactions, but they don't have, I mean, they're setting a non-emotional line. They're setting this off of whatever different, different computer, you know, simulations they have and, and numbers and power ratings they are putting together. So well, that's them putting together. Keep in mind too, the public loves to bet Notre Dame. So they're exposing themselves to Notre Dame being an underdog. You think they do that if they didn't feel confident in Cincinnati a little bit? This that's that's my exact point. I'm very fascinated by the fact that Cincinnati is favored because of what you just mentioned. They are doing it unemotional and going by the numbers, but they're also factoring in their ex, their own exposure and how this game is going to be bet. And you'd have to think if you put UC as a favorite at Notre Dame, not only does Notre Dame have a giant fan base that likes to bet them in general, but once you make UC the favorite, now Notre Dame is a home dog to right. a non-power five school. And don't think Brian Kelly doesn't play that angle up to his guys, too. Right. You have to imagine that's all of a sudden going to draw more money on Notre Dame as well. So I don't know 
I mean, what what do you think the numbers say Cincinnati is as a favorite if it was 1.5 by the time they got done with everything? Well, like, if, I have if to you, imagine if, it has Cincinnati by more than three or four. Right. I mean, if you add the normal, and it's not always normal, but if you had the normal three, three and a half for home field advantage, that puts UC at a four and a half-ish, five-point favorite. That That's almost a solid touchdown favorite. That's what I'm saying. Like, you have to imagine that's where they got to when they were coming up with this number. I can't imagine they... They took the number, saw, oh, you see a slight one, one and a half point favorite. Let's just leave it there. I have to imagine there was a little bit of working that went on to get down to that. So that means their numbers are probably telling them that you see is, like you said, a four, five, six point favorite somewhere in there. And that is very interesting to me. Uh, I think I would feel better about UC if they weren't the favorite. I think a lot of people would like UC as a live dog if they were going in there as, you know, a two point dog instead of a one and a half point favorite. Uh, but Notre Dame was dealt some adversity last week with Jack Cohn going down with a sprained left ankle in the third quarter. He was replaced by redshirt freshman Drew Pine, as you mentioned, because Tyler Buckner was unavailable due to a hamstring injury. What do you make of that whole quarterback situation coming into this game? I, I yeah, I don't know what to make of it. Um, like I said, I've never been a big Jack Cohn fan. Um, when he was at Wisconsin, I didn't think he was very dynamic, and some of that has to do with with Jack Chris's offense and or Paul Chris offense. It's not a very dynamic offense that they run either, um, but he just never has done it for me. Um, so I don't know if did he luck into pine at the right time to make a quarterback switch. Um, uh, you know, they don't run the ball great. Um, you know, they, they, again, they were, they, they'd scored 10 points through three quarters and Wisconsin's a good defense. Don't get me wrong. They are, they're a good defense, but um, yeah, I just, I think Brian Kelly has had to win games in weird ways this year of, of, you know, uh, hoping your defense comes through. And then you look in the first game of the year, they didn't. Now they're getting better. And Marcus Freeman, obviously he's getting paid seven figures for a reason there. And he's starting to figure it out. Um, to me, that that that's that's a little more concerning to me of Marcus Freeman figuring it out, obviously coming from UC and knowing personnel and knowing packages and knowing different things that they, they like to do from a strength standpoint. Um, I think that probably helped, gives Notre Dame a little advantage on that side of the ball. Um, but I also think this UC defense is so good that I think Notre Dame's going to have a hard time scoring on it. Jack Cohn versus Des Ritter. I don't know exactly where Jack Cohn is and where he's going to end up in terms of his production this season. I don't even know if he's going to be their starter by the end of the year or midway through it. He could be, he could have a, a really nice year. He's somewhere, you know, it's just, he's just been good enough to this point to make you and think, okay, he's got a chance. Like they may be able to figure this thing out but they could also go the other way and he might not be the starter for very much longer. So if you're, if you're comparing the two right now, I think UC clearly has the better quarterback option and certainly the more stable situation on offense. Then, like you mentioned, you go to the defense and Marcus Freeman is really good and he's getting this Notre Dame defense to play better. They have a little bit more talent overall. If you look at recruiting rankings, but in terms of the guy that are on the field starting and playing right now, UC has the better defense. So, I mean, that that has to make you feel pretty good as a UC fan about your chances in this one. The biggest thing to me, the biggest advantage that Notre Dame has without question, and Skinny, I think you'll agree with me as, as a coach, when you're coaching your, your, your team, especially in football where you might have one side of the football, hey, I'm the defensive coordinator, but you're still on the same team as those guys on offense, you know your guys' weaknesses. You know them better than anyone, and you talk about them. You share them. You, you think about those things. So that's my biggest concern for UC is that Marcus Freeman knows Des Ritter's limitations, and there are some limitations with Des Ritter, and he probably knows how to make him uncomfortable, and he's probably been thinking about it for a long time leading up to this game. That would be my biggest concern as a Bearcats fan. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that's probably fair. Um, I, I do think that's, that's probably fair. So, um, and you know, you see, got off that awful start against Indiana. It's hard to get that out of your mind. Three, three and outs and an interception that Des threw. And remember Des on the sidelines yelling at somebody or something, or just yelling in general and showing frustration. But then I also watch the guy who's won a lot of games get it together. That's the thing I keep coming back to with Desmond Ritter. I can find a lot of flaws. I don't think he's going to be an NFL quarterback, at least a starter. I think he's got a chance to be in the league. I know people have talked about him in that vein, and I hope he is. I'm not rooting against the kid. I just don't see it. Um, and you do see flaws, but I, all I know is the guy wins, and he figures out ways to win, whether it's making a big pass, whether it's making a big third down run. Um, the guy just finds a way. I'm, I mean, honestly, I feel bad for him in, in the Georgia game that he didn't complete that, that third and two pass when they probably should have run it. Um, because you know, he makes that play more times than not. He just happened to not make it then guy's just a winner. And sometimes that's, you just can't put a finger on what that means. That a guy knows how to make winning plays. He does. And so I, I'm riding with that guy. Even if Marcus Freeman can figure him out, I think he finds a way to get some things done too. You're right. You know, you're not out of it with a guy like him. He's not going to lose his head and and fall apart. He's going to keep battling and he's going to make good decisions throughout the game. But I am curious to see how he and that offense handled the noise and the environment, because you're right at Indiana, they got off to a shaky start and Notre Dame is going to be that times 10. So we'll see what happens there. We'll get into it. And, our- and I will tell you, I, I, I'm glad that Indiana game happened for many reasons. Definitely. Because you could you could see they slept walk the first half against Murray. Remember, 7-7, seven, seven, what's going on here? Then proceed to they're the better team, clearly, and blow Murray out. And then it was kind of, all right, here's our first big boy challenge. Because no offense to Miami, they're not a big boy challenge. And Murray certainly is not a big boy challenge. Here's our first big boy challenge. On the road, rare pack crowd in Bloomington. Um, crowds against you, noises against you, the fact that you're the top 10 teams against you on the road, all those things, and you got hit in the mouth and you, and, and, and you were down 14, nothing. And you reacted in a, in a, in a very positive way to it. They've at least now gone through that one time against a big boy opponent on the road, then have the week off to kind of gather yourselves. I think that was a great buy in between that they've taken. I, I, I think that I think I'm, I'm, I, I'd be, I'll be disappointed if they don't go to South Bend and win. Cause I think they're the better team and I think they'll be ready. All right, we'll get into our exact predictions yep. here during the betting segment, but let's wrap up the uh, first segment of the podcast here with some Reds talk. They were officially eliminated from the 2021 postseason on Tuesday night as they fell to the White Sox 7-1, to and the Cardinals won their historic 17th consecutive game to officially clinch the second wildcard spot. The Reds sit at 82-76 and with four games left to play. Skinny, prior to the season, the Vegas win total for the Reds was 81 and a half. I said I thought they'd be just under that number. You said you thought they'd be just over, but you'd be sweating it if you, you were to take that. I was sweating it down the stretch. Given all of that, how do you view this year's season for the Reds at this point? A success in some ways and a disappointment in a lot of ways because that wild card was there for the taking. And yes, I, I mean, you got to give St. Louis all the credit in the world. A team goes out and wins 17 games in a row. Unbelievable. To their credit, they, they won that spot. All right. But at the same time, they were doing that as the Reds were losing series after series after series. And listen, that's the thing. You didn't have to keep pace with the Cardinals winning 17 in a row just to stay in it here for the last few days. You just needed to not stop stacking, you know, series loss after series loss after series loss against teams that you should have beaten in those series. And that, that that's the part that was disappointing for me. But all told, they were still probably a, a key right-handed power bat short when all was said and done and certainly a bullpen armor too for a chunk of the year short. And you could argue probably a, a quality starter. I mean, Vladimir Gutierrez did the best he could, but he's, you know, he's a, he's a swing guy, probably in a best case circumstance. I saw, I think you saw that with the kid that started for the Reds on Monday, San Martin, 
Um, you know, I, I think he's got a chance to, to compete for a rotation spot, but he kind of reminds me of a left-handed Vladimir Gutierrez of just kind of a guy. Um, so, you you know, you're, you're just a hair deficient in all those areas. And again, the Cardinals had shown really nothing during the course of this season until they just exploded to win 17 in a row. It's been unbelievable. It's really easy for me to look back at this season and be frustrated. But when I think a little bit more about it, it it's it's really I'm frustrated with the front office and the way things were handled. I'm actually really pleased and it was fun to watch the team this season. Those guys overachieved most of the year, really from the pitching staff to the lineup. Uh, the guy, there were different guys that were injured, you know, Senzel and all yeah, the guys yeah, that went out of the that, lineup. We thought that would have been a major problem before the season started based on how thin they were. And they overcame that stuff. They kept fighting through adversity and they were in the thick of it. How often in my lifetime have the Reds been in it going into the, the last months of the season? You know, not very often. So it was a fun season in some regards. And this team was easy to root for because they were able to overachieve and because they did a lot of things that were fun to watch. A lot of young talent. Jonathan India was an incredible bright spot this year. Wade Miley was really fun to watch and a pleasant surprise. There were a lot of things to look back on and say, this was a fun year to watch. But then when you realize that they did not, not just did nothing to put this team together in the offseason, but they literally subtracted from it, it's really hard to swallow because they were in position to do something. Yeah, the one thing, and you mentioned the injuries, the one thing I, I, I probably have discounted this more than I should have. Um, I was asked this on a radio segment on Friday about Jesse Winker's loss to this team. And in retrospect, I think it showed they really missed his bat a ton. And I think you missed Naquin's bat down the stretch a, a bit as well. I mean, again, go back and look at his numbers and extrapolate them over the games he missed. He was going to probably wind up with a 25 home or 90 RBI season, you know, himself, uh, which it's nothing to sneeze at for a guy that you signed kind of late in the game as an afterthought to some degree. And he ends up, you know, being a starter starting center fielder because Nick Senzel couldn't get the job done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't discount those things, but you're right. And, you know, I, I, I'm going to also look back on this and go, and I said it at the time, so this is not me second guessing it. And I know you disagreed and that's good. I, 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 I that's part of the reason I like doing the podcast with you. I, I still, for me, I would have traded Nick Castellanos and gotten something for him. No, we were on the same page with that. Oh, I, were you? I thought you were on the other Yeah, no, page. no, no. We're usually on the same page with that type of stuff. I was back when it was the all-star break, quite honestly, I didn't think this team had a chance to compete still. I thought you got to get rid of him now because you're not going to compete as the season goes on and you got to get something for him. They kind of proved me wrong in the sense that they did stay in the hunt longer than I would have thought. But at the end of the day, it ended up being exactly what we thought, which is here we are at the end of the year. You didn't make the postseason and Nick Castellanos is going to walk, so. And here's the small fear that I have. It's a small fear, and it's probably not unfounded. Are we really expecting to do much this offseason? No. I'm not either. And, and I talked to somebody yesterday. We were kind of batting around of where guys were playing, and, and he made the point to me. He said, wouldn't shock me to see Jose Barrera be the starting center fielder on opening day next year. And I'm like, you know, that might be the case. Maybe that they leave Farmer at shortstop, him out there. You platoon Moustakas and, and, uh, and Suarez at third. Stevenson gets more at bats behind the plate if you and you could also let Tucker Barnhart go, which I, I wouldn't do. But, you know, and then your outfield is is maybe, you know, Winker, Naquin and and, uh, and Jose Barrero and Nick Senzel and Akiyama are kind of your backup guys there. And, you know, kind of in the infield, I just mentioned what you've got there and behind the plate. And then what do you do in the rotation? Do you do you deal Sonny Gray to get a bat or do you ride with Sonny Gray and hope that Nick Lodolo comes up and can fill that fifth spot in the rotation? 
Um, or again, is it a San Martin Gutierrez thing? I, I, you know, do you, do you ride with some of the guys you got, you know, in deals? I know Michael Givens is a free agent. Do you try to resign him or do you say, no, we've got enough guys. We got, we got uh, Art Warren coming back and Wilson's under contract and Sess is under contract and Lorenzen and these, I mean, do you, do you ride with pretty much what you've got? And that's kind of what I'm thinking they may do, to be honest with you. Is that a good enough to compete for a playoff spot next year? Well, it obviously remains to be seen. I think so much of the Reds' future plans just hinges on Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green at this point and when they're ready exactly and what they're capable of once they get to the big leagues. But prior to that, I don't know that the Reds really have much vision for this roster as things have played out. They've now all of a sudden uncovered a couple of young guys that really have some promise with India and possibly Barrero and a couple of these pitchers. So I'm interested to see where those guys go from here. I'm also very concerned about this offseason that they're going to be in a similar spot with not much to do. I, I think that's exactly what's going to be. And they're going to cry poverty because no offense, fans didn't come out because it is what it is. I mean, you've kind of alienated a bunch of your fan base right at the moment for whatever reason. I don't know what that is, but uh, they decided they they weren't all in on this on this uh, playoff push. That's their. I'm, I'm not chastising the fans for that. That's your own decision to make. I I don't care whether you go to a Reds game or not. That's on on you. Um, well, I think but, it's but, very but, simple. But, but, the fans weren't in on it because ownership wasn't in on it. Right. When no, you didn't I think want to go right. make a move and you don't want to make the team better. Why are we supposed to come out and spend money to watch that? Especially this city. It's getting tougher and tougher to compete for entertainment dollars, man. It is. It is. You know, I got two new music venues right there on on the river with you, like. FCC's got that thing cranking. It's not just them losing games in their own stadium and, anymore. They're now bringing in Olympic soccer games and stuff. And, to go and, to. and I'm, I'm just telling you, I've said this and, and it was last year. It hasn't happened with football a ton. Although again, it's not like the Bengals sold out the opener. And some of that was obviously, you know, where they kind of are and where people are with them. It's a fickle fan base, understandably so, because winning's going to bring you out, not rule the jungle crap that they do. Um, but, you know, I, I think, and I'll speak to my, I, I think a lot of people, maybe even with baseball, got used to kind of sitting at home and watching at home and went, this experience is good enough for me. And if, yeah, maybe I'll roll down for a game or two, but I ain't rolling down for 15 or 20. I ain't spending 15 bucks for a beer. I ain't spending $10 for the Kroger meal deal where I can get some Twizzlers on the side. Give me a break. I can buy, I can buy a year's supply of Twizzlers for 10 bucks. I, I really believe that people got used to that and said, financially, it's just not worth it for me to go down to the ballpark. And you can see how much the Reds devalue their own product down the stretch with $5 tickets. Now, well, you've seen things like that. You've seen it in other sports as well, where they're having trouble with attendance. And, and a lot of that is because, as we talked about in the past, watch the watching experience at home has gotten so good. Yeah. I mean, we've got HD TVs that are 70 inches and they're not that Again, expensive. And you've I, got can, DVR I, can buy, and, I can buy a good six pack craft beer and I'm not a craft beer buy guy, but I can buy a good six pack of craft beer for what I'd spend for a beer at the ballpark. Why would I do that? Right. So with that, and that's always been a thing. Like that's not a new thing. Everyone's always been funny saying that. Was, but, it, you know what's funny though, Rick? I will say this and I, I'm going to go back. Back in my day, it wasn't a thing. You could get a hot dog for a buck and a half. When honestly, I'm not telling you, we're, just, we're not talking about back in the 1930s. We're talking back when, you know, they could have jacked up prices in concessions. You could get a 32 ounce beer for three and a quarter. I mean, they, they trust me, this stuff is so inflated anymore that well, it is literally gone. I mean, I could go to the ballpark with 20 bucks, catch a buzz and still have a good <laughs> a meal. Now I'm lucky if I can crack a second beer for, for my 20 bucks. Come on. Well, well you can't. It's like 1050 right. for one. Right. beer, So you definitely you can't. can't do that. Yeah, I, 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 that's actually what I was going to ask you about. Do you think there's any chance because we continue to move in this direction of 
things are getting better and better to watch from home. You got the NFL Sunday ticket. You got all these cable packages and and different things. Do you think we're moving towards a time where maybe they'll have to readjust that and, and try to find more value for coming yes. to the park and, and yes. do something where concessions and the entertainment just doesn't cost as much? Yes, I, you, you almost have to do that. And that's one of the things that keeps me away from the ballpark. It really is. I mean, listen, I, I can get a five buck ticket. That's fine. But you uh, you got me in the park for five bucks. I'm not buying one of your $10 beers. I'll, I'll catch a couple of beers across the street at, at, at the grail. I'll at least sit there with a little comfortably numb for a few innings. And about the sixth inning, if the game's bad, I can walk back across the street and drink cheap again. I mean, it's I I, I think people enjoy sitting in the sun, drinking a couple of beers at a ball game. I'm not doing it for those prices. And I don't think I'm alone. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. It can be a great social play. It can be a great date spot. It can be a great time to hang out with a, a couple of old buddies and just shoot the breeze and have a few drinks. But you're not going to do that at the ball game when it's going to cost you one hundred and fifty dollars well, to drink say, a few beers. Go with three buddies. And, and if you give a little bit of a tip, maybe a five dollar tip, you buy the round. You're basically out 50 bucks. Yeah, you do that a few times and now it's become a, a pretty expensive day Hell, for you. I, I, I can go with those buddies to the Grail or to Dickman's or somebody else. Place else go. I got the tab for the night. It'll probably cost me 60 bucks. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you, you've done that a few times. I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> That's right. All right. Let's get to our betting segment. That's our old man segment of the day is over. I'm yeah, sorry, clearly I'm sorry. getting older quicker doing this podcast. No, but, but, but I sound but, like but, I'm a hundred, but, but there's something to it, Rick. And I mean, you could see it in that last month. I mean, when they, when they came out with that five hour ticket deal, that alarmed me to the point of you're basically going to get somebody into a major league baseball game for cheaper than they can go to a high school football game. Really? Yeah. And it's the first time you've been competitive at this time of year right. and how long? And you're right. having to do that. Right. That's yeah, not good. All right. Our betting segment. I was exactly what you'd expect out of me last week. <laughs> seven and seven. I just stay 500, giving you guys no help at all. 16 and 16 on the year now. Skinny, you were pretty good again. 10 and four, 23 and nine overall. Ooh. You were hot here to start Ooh. the year. You've got a nice profit margin going. I tell you what, if I eliminated the totals, I think I'd I'd be way up too. I got like every total wrong last week. Got the it's pick funny. Right total it, wrong. It's funny. There's a website called contest.covers.com and they have a bunch of free games that you can play where you bet anywhere from 100 units to 500 units on both sides and totals. And so I've won a couple of weeks in like a baseball. I won an NBA week once. It's real money. They I won $100. I got 100 bucks back from them two weeks ago. I won a major league baseball week. And if you don't believe me, go on there. I'm under there and under the name of Skin Flutes. Um, but it's funny. I, I can't remember if it's, it's college. Yeah, you like that. So it, I can't remember if it's college or the NFL. I don't have it up at the moment. One of those, I'm like spinning my wheels on sides. Like I'm down like a few hundred units on totals. I don't even know how this works. I'm up like 7,000 units. I'm crushing totals in one of those. Either I can't remember if it's the NFL or college. The other On sides, I can't do anything. On totals, I'm killing it. And I literally just go, I literally on that almost every week, we'll just bet the board. I'm, you know, a couple of games, I'll go, I don't want to play that game. It's I'm not betting any real money. I just, just kind of get you interested in it. Occasionally, if you get hot in a week, like I said, you can you can win a hundred bucks from them, etc. Um, and so uh, it was funny when I went through. That, I'm like, oh yeah, I I, it, I I I don't even know how I'm hitting those totals, but I'm hot as can be in totals. Yeah, and I I know this isn't that's not real money, real contest stuff. But in your actual betting, do you ever bet totals yourself? Because I don't really do I, it very often. I, I, I do on occasion. I don't usually bet them straight. I'll throw them in a parlay or two on occasion. Um, I believe it or Same. not, um, I mentioned I was I was dancing. I, I hit a, a six team parlay um, with and, and literally everything else. I wasn't sweating. I had LSU, although I didn't realize I was sweating that at the end when they when they only won twenty eight twenty five, being up twenty eight ten. But I had Army on there. I had LSU on there. I had Boston College on there. 
getting to. So going to overtime kind of ticked me off, but still won that game. So it really came down to fourth quarter of Notre Dame. So it's coming down to literally the two, those two to close out the parlay. I had Notre Dame getting five and a half and over 45 and neither offense is doing anything. I'm like, man, the best I can do right now is can I get this to 2020 overtime? I'll, I'll pray for that. Well, then that, right at that time, the kid returns the kickoff. The, the pick six, though, is the one that put it over the total. And it was like, as Wisconsin's driving, I'm thinking, all right, Notre Dame, just give him this cheap backdoor touchdown. Instead, he throws the pick six. So it was one of the rare times I played a total. Um, and I got lucky. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that was pure luck to come back and get, and get the total. Not, the cover, I always felt confident getting the five and a half in Notre Dame, even when they were down. Um, I thought they'd always hang around the game. But the total, I had to sweat that one out. All right, let's jump into it. Thursday night, 820, Jaguars at the Bengals. Bengals are a seven-point favorite. The total is 46 and a half. I went down yesterday to cash a ticket and from, from the weekend and didn't make any plays, just cashed the ticket and left. There was a guy in front of me in line um, who put 500 bucks on Jacksonville on the money line. And I thought, ooh, money line was like plus 210, I think. But um, he sounded very confident in doing so. And then he said, I'll probably be back if this stays seven and a half. He goes, I, I, I kind of like it. He said, I'll, I might be back in a little bit to play the seven. So he loves Jacksonville. I, I don't. I, I Listen, there's a lot of reasons why I, there's going to be a letdown. I'm going to be so sad that there's going to be a letdown for a chunk of this game. But I just think the Bengals, they've got too much riding in their direction. You got Joe Burrow healthy. You got a lot of things going for you. Um I think this defense has played consistently well for three weeks. This doesn't, I've, I don't think this feels like a flash in the pan. The injuries are a little troublesome. No Jesse Bates on that back end. If he doesn't play bugs me a little bit, but Jacksonville's lost three games by double digits. And again, they're dysfunctional on a short week. I'm going to go Bengals. I'm going to go Bengals 27, 17. You're going to probably sweat everything here, the total and the game itself, but I'll go Bengals 27, 17 Bengals in the under. So it's Bengals and the under, which that's the same thing I'm on here. I'm going to go Bengals 24, Jags 10. Like I mentioned, I hope the Bengals will score more, but I don't think we'll see a drastic change in terms of how they approach this game. I think they're going to try to win with defense, and they should be good enough to do so. I, I think they'll really be able to limit. The ja The Jags do not run the football well, and the, the uh, Bengals have bottled everyone's rushing attack up to this point anyway. So well, they, they, they don't, but their two main running backs are averaging five yards a pop. They just don't run it consistently. So they, they've got a couple of good guys who can run it, but, but you're right. I mean, they've not been able to sustain stuff and they've been playing so much from behind. They've had to throw the ball around. Yeah. So I, I think they'll be able to bottle the running game up, then get after Trevor Lawrence a little bit, hopefully make him make some mistakes. I think they'll be able to hold the Jags down with their defense. And so I'm, I'm going to stay well under there at 24, 10, just 34 points, 12 and a half under the total. So Saturday, 2.30 p.m., we've got UC at Notre Dame. The Bearcats are one and a half point favorite, like we talked about on the road, and the total there is 51. Yeah, I like this to stay under the total. Um, I do too. I, I just think this has got a defensive game written all over it. I'm going to go UC 23-20, so I'm going to go Bearcats and the under. <laughs> well, yeah, we're right on each other here again. I had 24-21. Um, and I could actually see it being being even lower scoring than that, like a 21-17 yeah. game or something but you, like that. You, but usually when it's two good defenses in college, they find a way to knock one loose or, or get a score on defense, and that usually kind of bumps that up a little bit. I think that happens to somebody in this game. That's exactly 
couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly what I was going to go with. Either a defensive touchdown or a special teams play like we saw from Notre Dame last week. I think we'll get something like that from one of the two sides, if not both. So I bumped my score up a little bit, but still not touching that total of 51. We're both on UC and the under there. Saturday, 3.30 p.m., Ohio State at Rutgers. The Buckeyes are a 15-point favorite. The total is 58 in the hook. And let me tell you why this is interesting to me, Skinny. Because of that damn 15. If this was 14, I would feel great about it. At, at 15, it's just that third possession makes it interesting. Rutgers is 4-0 and against the spread. Ohio State is 1-3. and Yeah, and Rutgers, you know, they, they beat the crap out of Temple. They're not good, but they're not, you know, they beat them 61-14. They beat Syracuse at Syracuse 17-7. Syracuse just beat, and you can argue whether Liberty should have been ranked or not, but Liberty was ranked when they played them on Friday night, and Syracuse beat them. Then they go to red hot Michigan, right? Michigan's putting up points all over the place. And it looked after early on, Michigan got up 14 to three. It's going to be a blowout. And instead Rutgers found a way to kind of hang around there. Lost 20 to 13. I'm with you on that 15. It really bugs me. And again, Ohio state, they did what we thought they were going to do with Akron. We, I think I might even come damn close to nailing that score right on the number. Um, yeah. 66, seven. Yeah. Um, you were really close. Um, so, you know, that, that doesn't move the needle for me. I'm glad they did it. They needed it. But I still think this is going to be tough. Greg Schiano obviously coached at Ohio State. Um, I'm going to go Buckeyes in a in a in a tougher one than you think. I'll go Buckeyes 30 to 23. So Ohio State and the under for me. I'm sorry, Rutgers in the under for me. Yeah, that's Rutgers and the under. You called a uh, 63 to three in that Ohio okay. State Akron game. So you were almost <laughs> right on it there. Yeah. Um, you go Ohio State 30, Rutgers 23 here. I, this is tough. I, I I mean, I I I think Rutgers is okay now. I think they've gotten to the point of respectability. They used uh, to be a yeah, laughing stock. That's where I'm I, the fact that they went to Michigan and hung tough, and the fact they won at Syracuse, that that tells me this is probably a better team than we want to give it credit for. And I do think Michigan is legit. I do too. So I think that was an impressive performance. But Rutgers is a a defensive minded team, a team that's not going to make mistakes and a team that wants to keep it low scoring. Yes. They're just not good enough to slow down Ohio state like that. And when Ohio state puts, pushes this into the forties, which quite honestly, I don't know if many teams can stop Ohio state from doing. I just don't know that Rutgers will be able to keep pace with them. I'm going to go ahead and say Ohio state covers it. And if they don't, I'm done with Ohio State for the year, period. <laughs> Point blank. They've burned me twice already. I'm going to do it one more time. I'm saying Ohio State 42, Rutgers 20. So that's Ohio State and the over. Fair enough. Sat- Saturday, 3.30, we've got Central Michigan at Miami of Ohio. Miami is a one-point favorite in that one. 55 and the hook is the total. Yeah, that has me scratching my head on Miami's a favorite. I um, couldn't agree more. I think I Central mean, I, Michigan's again, a live dog here. I, I think when you when you look now at that Minnesota game where they came back and made it close, um, I think Minnesota must be not very good. I mean, they lost to Bowling Green as a 31-point favorite. That's right. So, Central Michigan's lost two games this year at Missouri by 10. And at LSU, where they got blown out 49-21. But again, put up some points in both of those games against SEC schools. Their other two games, they put up 31 on FIU and 45 over an overmatched Robert Morris. Um, I, I think Central Michigan wins this and, and wins it. I'll, I'll go even comfortably. I'll go 31-20 Central Michigan. So Central Michigan in the under. 
I like Central Michigan to win it outright as well. I'm not as confident as you. I'm going to go Central Michigan 31, Miami 28. So it's going to be CMU by a field goal and the over. Neither defense is very good at all in this one. I'm basically going with Central Michigan because they throw it more and they throw it better. I I think these teams are fairly similar, if we're being honest. Saturday, 6 p.m., Florida at Kentucky. The Wildcats are an eight and a half point underdog. The total is 55. Yeah, um, you know where my heart lies, and I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this as a heart play. Um, I, I I'm still not sure what to make of this Kentucky team. They've been dynamic at times on offense. They've been inconsistent at times on defense. They've also been really good at times on offense. Um, and and they've been really good at times on defense. And you saw that they won on Saturday, pretty much running the ball and playing defense. That looked like I, more like a Mark Stoops traditional team. Yes. But I do think there's there's still something there in Will Levis. He's just a hair off at the moment, and I still feel like he's going to hit some big plays. You know, this Florida defense. Um, you know, you look. Um, it's 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 been pretty decent. They only gave up 31 to Alabama. I think that says something because that Alabama offense is so daggone dynamic. Um, but you know, they they've 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 also given up 14 plus points to everybody on their schedule so far. That includes god awful Tennessee, Florida Atlantic, South Florida. Um, and I think the fact that this being in Lexington, uh, coming off a couple of games, you know, it's a, it's a rival game with Tennessee, even though Tennessee's not great, and, and playing Alabama, uh, I, I think Kentucky's got enough confidence going. They've turned the ball over a ton. They're, I think they're minus 10 in turnover margin, which is it's unheard of to be that much in turnover margin at this point of a year and still be undefeated. Now, some of that's schedule-related, but some of that's also the defense has made stops when it's had to make stops. They've been dynamic enough on offense. They've run it uh, in the two. It's funny. They couldn't run it against Louisiana, um, against Monroe, and yet they they ran it at will against South Carolina and ran it at will against Missouri, which is odd. And I think that was just, again, that goes back to that, that, that Monroe game was just a simple letdown game for me. Kentucky's played Florida real tough the last handful of years, beat them a couple of times. I'm going Kentucky outright. I'll go Kentucky 27, Florida 24. All right. All right. So we got Kentucky pulling the upset here. So that's UK and the under right there. Yep, 51. Yep. I'm going to go UK to cover the spread, but I don't think they win this one outright. I've gone back and forth on Florida's defense too. I think end of the day, it's not that good. And ultimately it's not who they want to be either. They want to be a team that throws it all over the place and scores a bunch of points. I'm predicting a shootout in this one. I think Kentucky and and Will Levis are going to get it going on offense again. They won't quite be able to pull it out, but I'm hoping for a really fun game. I'm going to say 35, 28 Florida wins this one. So it's UK and the over in terms of the play. Uh, I will admit though, last week's 16 to 10 game against West Carolina has me scared about against South Carolina has me scared about that over. Yeah, I, I think this Kentucky defense is the part to me that's going to get better and better. I think they got a lot of nice parts. They've been dealing with some injuries. Um, and they always Stoops, do under Stoops. Yeah, and Stoops has been – they've been playing a lot of younger guys just to get them some reps in, against some of these teams where, um, you know, the Louisiana game was a little disconcerting, the Monroe game, just because Monroe at times lined up and pushed them around. But I just go back to that was just – that was such a perfect letdown spot, and that's exactly what that was. And, you know, now they're 2-0 in the SEC. Haven't been 2-0 in the SEC, I believe, since 1977. Chance to go 3-0 and and really put yourself in contention. Because remember, this was supposed to be the hard stretch, right? Florida, LSU, Georgia. Right. And I'm, I'm not here to tell you Georgia is going to kill them because Georgia is just that good. But you got a chance, a legit chance with LSU and Florida here back-to-back at home to get to 4-0 before Georgia. Uh, um, I don't think that, that can be lost. And I think this team's good enough to do it. 
It'd be fun to see if they could. Sunday, 820, we've got the Buccaneers at the Patriots back to the NFL, and the Bucs are a six-and-a-half-point favorite in Tom Brady's return. The total is 49. Yeah, um, <laughs> the, the Tom Brady-Bill Belichick revenge game here. At six-and-a-half is interesting because it makes you say, oh, Tampa with that offense, they're only given less than seven. Uh, Got to take them. This feels like that sucker six-and-a-half line. And, you know, right or wrong, I, it's hard for me to, to, to bet against Belichick, but I mean, they're, they're not good. I mean, I, I can't give that jets win much of anything. Cause the jets are just so damn bad. The saints just went in and steamrolled them. They did lose that tough one in the opener to the dolphins. Um, and, and the dolphins have their issues too, especially with the quarterback situation. Um, I think Tom goes in there and just chews it up. I I'll, I'll go, I'll go 41. 41 7. I think they blow up 41 17 Tampa. Wow. That line, though, that's it just feels like such a sucker line. But I'm going back to and I hate to I hate to be that guy, but we're now a season plus into Belichick without Brady and what we got going. Right? Yeah, Brady's dominant and Belichick looks lost without him. Right. I will say I think the Pats defense is pretty good. And, I do too. And I think Belichick will do everything in his power to let but his they, ego come in, come out intact and make Brady look not as explosive or not as good. I don't think he will let Brady score 40 points on him if there's anything he can possibly do about it, even if his team doesn't score at all. See, that's the thing. I don't think they're going to score because they're not going to, you don't run it on that Tampa defense for the most right. part. So that, that then puts the onus on Mac Jones to go win this game. Come on now. We're not ready for that. That's not going to be good. And you saying that makes me even feel uncomfortable at the fact that I have the Pats even scoring 17 at this point, but I'm going to stick with my original pick. I'm going to say Bucks 27, Pats 17. So that's Bucks and the under. The Bucks are 3-0 and to the over so far. The Pats are 3-0 and to the under Right to right. this point. So it, it'll be a battle of wills there in terms of the, the total. And then finally, we have our Monday night 8-15 game. Raiders at Chargers. This is going to be an interesting one. I it think. is. I love this game. Chargers are a three-point favorite. 52 is the total. What do you got on that? I think it goes way over, so we'll start there. I mean, these I are two, two really good offenses. I'm bullish on Vegas. And the Chargers, you know, the, the loss to the Cowboys was a bit disheartening, right? Because they were at home, and it felt like they they, they the gained chunks of yards. Good. But I think you're starting exactly. That's a, You stole the words right from me. I think I'm starting to come around on the Cowboys being pretty damn good. So that loss doesn't bother me as much. And yeah, I know this is kind of a week to week league. We know that stuff, but um, you know, then they bounce back and, and get that kind of goofy win the way they wanted against the chiefs. I'm just bullish on this Raiders team. Um, their offense is just really, really good. And Derek Carr has been accurate. He's been hitting some home runs. Uh, I, I go for a shootout. So I'm going to go Raiders in a shootout 34, 31. So Raiders and way over for me. However you play this, I think the overs the play. I agree with the over. I'm I'm on that as well. I'm going Chargers to win it though. Chargers are six and one against the spread in their last seven. I just think they've been playing really well. I think you know they've got their guy in Herbert, and the rest of the team has has gotten to just good enough to that next level. Last year it was just the quarterback, and everything else was kind of trying to be put in place around him. This year they've got enough. I think they're pretty legit. I'm going to give Chargers too. 31. Raiders 27. So that's Chargers in the over for me. Yeah. No, I, I, I think both these teams, both these teams have playoff team written all over them. I will say we've seen the John Gruden experience in, in, in Oakland slash Las Vegas so far where they've gotten off the good, 
good starts to seasons and then can't can't finish it off. I, I, I think they finish this one off. I think it's a pretty good team. One quick question for you right here. Last week, you had a four-team teaser going on in the NFL. And I've got to ask you one thing, because you said something that didn't make any sense, and it determines whether or not you hit that four-teamer. You said you were taking Indy down to a pick They were a six-point dog last week. No, I assume no, you meant yeah. you're taking Indy up to 12. No, I, I meant the other way. I, I, oh. the, the Titans down to a pick So they did win the game, so I still would. I still hit it. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, all right, so you picked up uh, – Oh, yeah. So you would have won that either way. Yeah, either so way. Minnesota seven and a half, Rams seven and a half, Titans pick them, and Bills minus one and a half. You hit a four teamer there. So. Yeah, and I didn't really sweat any of that, to be honest with you. Maybe the, tit- maybe the, the Titans Indy- a little yeah. bit. Yeah, except maybe the, the Titans a, yeah, a little bit. Uh, did, do you have a teaser for this week? I do. Um, I'm taking Green Bay down to a pick them against Pittsburgh. They're at home. I mean, that, that to me, that line should be nine and a half. I think Green Bay is going to. If you want to play for the weekend, that that to me is the play. Green Bay laying six and a half against Pittsburgh. Come on now, I'm going to take them down to to a pick'em. I'm going to take Denver at home, so I'm going to do a. I, I guess I'll do a six and a half point one here since that takes them down to pick them. I'm going to take Denver up to five and a half, getting five and a half at home against Baltimore. Baltimore is is won two games by literally the skin of their teeth, a point and a field goal hitting the crossbar. Um, and they're going to Denver and Denver's defense, I think is legit. I don't know if Denver can keep up with teams, but I think their defense is more than legit. So I've got those two. Um, I'm going to take bear with me. I just had, I'm going to take new Orleans down to one at home against the giants. And, uh, I will lastly take Minnesota at home against Cleveland up to eight and a half. So Minnesota plus eight and a half at home. Saints down to one at home, Denver up to five and a half at home, and Green Bay down to a pick at home. That's my four-teamer. Okay, I like it. I've got a, a little two-teamer SEC play here. Oh, I, wow. I really like the, these lines if you tease them, because actually the Arkansas line, I don't understand. I'll just say that. 18 and a half. I know it's Georgia. Oh, I, I do. Georgia's so good, man. I, 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 I'm looking forward to that game because – I. I think Arkansas is legit. They 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 proved they were legit with Texas A and M. I think I think Georgia is in a different stratosphere. We'll see, man. I just Kirby Smart scoring all those points. It's tw- eighteen and a half is a lot. I'm I'm what? taking it up to twenty five. I'm going to six and a half okay. teaser up to twenty five. I feel really good about that. And then I am going to uh, add on. Where'd it go? I had it. Oh, I'm going to add on Ole Miss and take them up to twenty one. They can score. I mean, that you talk about a shit. You know, you see what the total in that game is, by the way. It is 80. 80. Right now, as we sit here. <laughs> That's great. An 80 point total in a game. And it probably is going to go over. I don't think I can touch it with a 10 foot pole, but that just cracks me up. Um, by the way, so I, Saturday I was watching, I had the Miami Army game on to start. I was watching some Ryder Cup as well. It was a lot for me to flip around, and, and you know, Notre Dame was playing. There's a bunch of games that were played at noon. And I didn't even play this game that I'm about to tell you about. It was Georgia Vandy. And so I just was scrolling through scores and I come down, it was like 12, maybe 1230 when I finally looked, started looking at scores and I had to shake my head. You know what the score was at the time? 30 minutes into that game in real time. No, Georgia 35 Vanderbilt, nothing. That sounds about right. But I, I, that makes me, that actually brings up a question I have for you. Yes. Vanderbilt plays UConn this week. Two God awful teams. Vanderbilt beats them. Well, they definitely beat them, but they're a 14 and a half point favorite. I actually, as much as I think that seems like a big line for Vanderbilt, who's awful, I also have a theory that when teams play UConn, 
who is so bad. They're so it's bad. Their, it's their get right game. No matter, it is. Like, no one's as bad as UConn. So if you've got that chance to win by five touchdowns, if you're Vanderbilt, you, you, you blow your load in this game. I think Vanderbilt will easily cover 14 yeah, and a half yeah. the more I think about it. UConn did Randy Edsel a favor. I mean, he was going to quit at the end of the year. Yeah. He announced it two games in and they said, now nah, you can just leave now. If I'm him, okay, fine. I'm going. I, this is, I mean, they've taken all his money away. They've taken all the recruiting budget away. And, you know, they, they got out of a league and, and why are they to continuing mismatch. with that charade? It's, it's a great question. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, they were an FCS school for a while, you know, back 25 years ago. They should probably go back to doing that again. Why even do that? Just whack the program, be a basketball school. You're great at basketball. In, in, yeah, in both in both men's and women's. Yeah, you're a great basketball program. Just just stick with that. By by the way, here's Georgia's scores. That here's Georgia. Georgia has given up 23 points all year, and seven of those because I was listening to it because I needed South Carolina to backdoor me a couple of Saturdays ago. I was listening to it on Station Out of Atlanta when I was driving back from broadcasting a high school game. Um, they got a late kind of gift 30 some odd yard touchdown where a guy threw it up. So they've they've given up all of two touchdowns on the year, and one of those was a gift thrown up into the end zone. They're, they're just good, man. Their defense is dominant. It's dominant. It's dominant. Now, I think we can go back to the Clemson game and go, yeah, Clemson wasn't very good offensively. and was starting to prove that out. But yep. that's still that Georgia defense is ridiculous. They're really I'm with good. you. I'm with you because I think Arkansas is legit. I mean, I think Arkansas can get the crap kicked out of them here. And I'd still look and go, Arkansas is still a really good team. Yeah. I mean, but if they're going to lose by 20 something, then it changes my opinion of them because I don't think. I don't I think, think it, I think, be an I think Kentucky. I think Kentucky's pretty damn good, and I'll be happy if they keep it within three touchdowns. Yeah, that's. I don't know if Kentucky's as good as Arkansas, even. Well, no, uh, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, but all right. Ask Skinny anything. Let's yes. let's wrap this thing up. How would Skinny handle Ohio State linebacker Kayvon Pope's antics during the game on Saturday? I think the same way they did. See you later, son. Take your stuff. Get to the locker room. You want out? See you later. I mean. Honestly, you just you can't stand for that nonsense. That that was that was silly. And then the stuff that he decides to tweet out and put on Instagram, um, blank Ohio State. And then you you were hoping to come back. No, no, no. Have a good day. Good luck to you, son. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you didn't see it, he was told to come out of the game. He tried to run back on the field. He got waved off. And he's right. a guy who's been an upperclassman who hasn't gotten a lot of playing time. They're in a blowout, and he basically lost at that point of like, all right, f this. I'm not going to play here. So he starts taking off his, his gloves and his, I mean, to, his stuff Rick, on the he, sideline, throwing them. He, he's the perfect example of the transfer portal. If things aren't going to work out for you there, go find some place you can go play, man. Exactly. That's, that's frustrating. I, I feel bad for the kid I, and, and I, I the fact too. that he's not getting to play in that blowout. And you know, they're, they're doing that to him. But at the same time, this is just an all time move to quit in the middle of the, the game, walk into the locker room, immediately grab the phone and drop an, F-U-C-C, Ohio State. Yeah, I like yeah. that he's, he, maybe that's a French <laughs> spelling of it. I don't, yes. I don't know what that is, but uh, I appreciated that. And then also added on a second tweet, good luck to my teammates. Yeah, good luck. To, that was the best. Good luck to my teammates. Now, just that, to be clear. Yeah, just, uh, I still love, I still love my guys. No, I mean, he, I'd feel more sorry for him, honestly, Rick, if you didn't have the transfer portal nowadays where you're stuck in a place and you can't get playing time and you can't get out of the situation. They're letting you out of the situation now. I mean, they are. Yeah. I just, I just, <laughs> again, I'm not trying to make fun of the kid too much. He made a really stupid mistake. I'm sure he regrets it, or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he was just done with playing football for Ohio State anyway. But I, I can't get over the idea of just walking into the, the locker room, pulling out the phone, and immediately firing off that tweet. It's like, you know, we've all been there where maybe you drink too much one night. And you're like, ah, I probably should oh, yeah. oh, yeah. away right, from me. Right, that's right. <laughs> but doing it in the I've middle of a, a football game when you're you're in a fight with your coaches is just, 
that's a different level of, uh, oh, of I, I told you there. I had a kid and he's playing division two college basketball in Tennessee now. And I loved him to death, but he was extraordinarily headstrong and not as much with me as he was. He always thought he got fouled. He was that guy that every time, you know, he'd drive to the bucket, he thought he'd get fouled and he'd throw his arms up in the air. And I just got to the point where I had enough of it. So we were playing a tournament in Lexington. It was, might've been a semifinal game. We won the tournament, but it was in the semifinals. He, he's a great shot maker. The kid's a good player and I'm doing well in college. And I'm really proud of him and happy for him. Um, because he was a good kid deep down. He just, it, it just one of those things. I just, I can't stand that. It's like, you're not going to, it's my job to deal with the officials. You just play. So he drives to the basket, throws his arms up in the air. I dude, I might've gotten him coming off the floor before he even got back on defense. I think I did. I think I just grabbed him said here, sit down here or go over in the corner, call your dad. You're done for the day. Have a good day. And sure enough, he comes back and he says, my dad said to apologize. I said, did your dad say to apologize? You want to apologize? He goes, all right, I'll apologize. I said, well, you're not going to play in this last game. I said, you can sit here with your teammates. I'm not standing for that. I'm just not. It is what it is. Good luck to my teammates, though. Yep. That's what I was in, though, because I, I do think he wanted to be there for his guys. So I'm like, you can sit here on the bench. That's fine. I'm not going to use you. And he learned it. And from that point forward, we were fine. It was good. I wish you would have dropped an F-U-C-C Beachwood tweet. <laughs> no, this was my AAU team. Oh, okay. Yeah, this F-U-C-C, is my AAU team. Uh, Shining Stars or Warriors. No, legend. Le- we, were the, we were the legends, there baby. There we go. Yeah. All right. What do you think about Indiana and Cincinnati playing a secret scrimmage in basketball? Have you guys heard about any other secret scrimmages with local teams? I love the secret scrimmages, right? Because they're secret until they're not secret, right? Yeah. (laughs) Until they're not secret. Who's Xavier playing in secret scrimmages? Do you know? Yeah. So I I actually, I assume they are playing one. I'm pretty certain they are, but I don't think anyone's told me, or if they did, I totally forgot about it. Because it's it's secret. Yeah. And and it's also secret. So I'm not allowed to tell you, but yeah, no, I'm pretty sure Xavier will be playing. I haven't heard of them or NKU or UK for that matter. I don't think UK doesn't usually play the secret scrimmages. Do they? No, They do the exhibitions with the small schools. Well, they're, they're playing actually my, one of the kids that played for us at Beachwood, Scotty Droud's playing at Kentucky Wesley, and he's actually going to get a chance to go play in Rupp because nice. they're uh, they're playing them in an exhibition game. Well, that'll be cool. Yeah, but yeah, I am, I will say I am fascinated by this Indiana UC secret scrimmage. I yes. want all the details. I have tons leak out because obviously UC has got a new team and West Miller, well, and you got the crosstown shootout. They're, but they're but both works in progress. They're both like. What are they going to be? New coaches, new players, new all. I think I think it's a fascinating secret scrimmage. Right. But NKU is also heading up to Indiana here early oh. in the non-conference slate. Oh, so that's I'm right. I'm very right. interested to see what we hear about these two teams early on. Uh, this the secret scrimmage has a little more juice than it otherwise would what, for me normally. Well, what's the date of the NKU UC game this year? Oh, wait a minute. My bad. They're not going to play. I think it was scheduled for the same time as the date that I think, UC is going to Miami of Ohio. So. I think it was too, to be honest. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, I oh, wonder well. why they couldn't make that work. Mm, uh, does skinny think the Peyton Eli version of Monday night football is better option than the regular Monday night football broadcasting crew. And will this be something ESPN continues to use even in the next season, given the ratings? Oh, I think they absolutely use it. I can't imagine this goes away um, by no any chance. stretch of the imagination. No chance. I, I'm, I just have not gotten into it. I just, I think they're, they're they, they both, or just chuckleheads a lot of times. It feels like every time I've turned it on, they're in the middle of some chucklehead thing. And, and the game is, I can barely see it in the background. And honestly, I'm one. And despite the fact that I do a lot of play-by-play and have done a lot of play-by-play, um, the, the, the television medium to me, I kind of almost tune announcers out for the most part. I'm, I, I can see most of it for myself. Um, they're more distraction than they are adding to it. Very rarely does. I mean, John Madden added a lot, in my opinion. That's just me. Again, we all have our own personal preferences with people. Um, I think Chris Collinsworth adds sometimes. He's kind of a chucklehead um, uh, times as well. 
Tony Romo definitely adds to the broadcast. I, I really think he's just super. Um, but just that it just, I don't know. I know people love it. And I, and I like both those guys and they're super smart with the game. And they, I mean, they're diagnosing stuff quickly just off of watching television. I mean, they haven't had to re-rack the tape back and they don't know game plans and all that stuff going in. And they're really good at that. I just, it feels like every time, and I, I do that with TV shows on occasion. I'm like, hey, I'm watching this show and this show. And it feels like every time I'm clicking back and forth between the two, and I rarely watch shows, I'm always in the middle of commercials. So for this, it feels like I'm always in the middle of them doing something non-football game related. There's a reason I came over for a minute. And so I usually just go back to the regular broadcast. But I do think it's, I mean, it's been such a success that I can't can't imagine ESPN doesn't stick with this. Those two together are the perfect broadcast for guys who loved Mike and Mike in the mornings. Yeah, probably. It's the exact same like feeling. It's real cheesy. It's all dad jokes. It's Eli getting up and swiveling his hips and making a Shakira joke from what a great early 2000s reference that all the 50 and 40 year olds got. Like, I mean, they are so Mike and Mike. It kind of makes me sick. But that being said, to your point about broadcasts add very little, I usually don't like watching them. I will tune them out. That's exactly why I think this works. I prefer this. And I think there's a lot of ways you can continue to improve on this and make it something that I'll actually be interested in watching. Cause I don't need the guy. I mean, we've had the same type of broadcast going on forever, despite the fact that we've got second screens going on. Now we've got phones, we've got all these stats, all, all this film breakdown and replay stuff that we can do. I mean, they've been trying these little mega cast side streams for all the big games, like the college football playoff and the super bowl and stuff like that, where they'll just throw goofballs into a room and let them basically do a podcast during the game while it's going on. Right. Right. I love that concept, but give me guys who are interesting or funny and can talk about what's also going on a little bit. Peyton and Eli are pretty close to that. They're just a little too cheesy for me. And the whole, the interview thing that they've got going on is, is just off. Like they bring in Nick Saban who totally doesn't understand what he's there to do other than in his mind, he's just recruiting. It's, it's hard to watch that stuff. So I'm, there's a lot to be worked on there. I don't love it, but I do like it better than the normal broadcast. And I definitely think there's a ton of room to grow and there's no chance that ESPN's ever going back from this. No, I, no, I, I fully agree with that. And I, I get it. I mean, again, if, if something works, you're not going to all of a sudden stop. It would be a matter of if people thought this was so bad, they're not tuning over to it. The thing that, that, that is a little weird is just trying to put your own competition up against yourself. Now, I guess you could argue, well, you're getting the whole audience anyway, and all they're doing is flipping from that to this, and they're still watching. I guess I get that, but it just feels weird. Does Would that bother you if you were the broadcasters on the other channel? Do you think like the, um, the play-by-play guys have a, a gripe about that? Yes and no. I'm, I'm a big believer in this in life a lot of times. If the check don't bounce, that's fine. I'm good with it. I mean, honestly, yeah. if, you're pay- if, if, you're, if you're paying me, I'm going to be a professional and do the best job that I can. And that's all I can honestly control. I don't care. I, I can't control if somebody watches, if somebody listens, if somebody respects what I'm talking about. I just know that the people who hired me to do the job, as long as the check don't bounce, I'm going to do the best job I possibly can do. And that's all I can control. It will be interesting to see if all of a sudden they require, I don't know, guys to have a personality or have some charisma and be funny. And like the guys who are just straight broadcasters who do nothing but talk in a certain voice, start getting paid a little bit less because look, there's, there's a lot more value to these guys that can do these side streams where they can entertain and run the whole thing by themselves. And they're not just doing uh intros and outros and transitions all night. No. And I, and I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you, you have other demographics you might uh, appeal to. There may be, like I said, in my household where it's, it's three females and me, my, my, two daughters um you know they're not huge sports fans they like it enough 
um, because they kind of grew up around it. Uh, but they know who Peyton and Eli are not as much from football, but from other things from Saturday night live, for goodness sakes. Sure. So they, they so they, it crosses over to guy to, to people like them. Now I'm not here to tell you either daughter is watching those guys on a Monday night football broadcast by any stretch, but you're, you're crossing to that demographic too. Yeah. That's a good point. That's all I got. All right. Good stuff, man. Appreciate it. As always should be a great weekend of football, man. Looking forward to it. Uh, by the way, we will be back. Um, it'll be early Friday morning. Uh, we will have our post Bengals uh, Jaguars podcast. So we will have right. that dropping sometime early Friday morning. Rick's working the overnight shift. I'll be up uh, till the all hours of the morning, finishing my work for local 12.com. And then we'll record the podcast after that. So we will have that for you uh, first thing Friday morning. So uh, look out for that. And then we'll be back on our normal slate uh, for, for next week and, and moving forward. Our Bengals podcast may, may uh, change a little bit because of your travel schedule, but we will still be dropping them. Even if we drop them on a Monday at times, we will still have some post Bengals reaction uh, moving forward. But for sure this week, just as a reminder, we will have a podcast for you uh, following the Bengals game up on, on Friday morning. Rick, appreciate it as always. I will talk to you then for Rick Roaring. I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the skinny podcast, the weekly folk re-edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.